So good morning, Eastside family. We want to let our children ages four years old through third grade just to stand right there while Mr. Eddie preaches. You know, you, that, that'll last about 30 seconds, right? Go to junior worship. It's in that direction. If you have kids that age range, just follow the crowd going that way. And as they're making themselves, as they're going in that direction, I also want to remind you of a really important aspect of our worship assembly. It is our offering. It's an important aspect of our worship. And we provide for you four different ways. This was a special offering of, of money that you brought and the children bringing some of the food this morning for Mercy's Gate. But also with your regular tithes and offerings, we have four ways you can, you can worship God in that way. You can mail a check to the church building. You can go online to our website at eastsidesprings.com and follow the simple instructions you, that, that are there you can also give a bank draft automatically through your bank, which is easy to do. Or for those of you that are with us in person, you can drop off your contributions in the, that back basket. We're trying to keep these written out for Mercy's Gate. For those of you that aren't here uh, in person, we're glad you are here with us as well, live streaming today. Great to have you with us. Let's take our Bibles and turn this morning to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25 will be the passage we'll be looking at. Years ago, I was, I was leading a, a life group of, of older, retired, senior citizens. And the topic of Bible study and discussion on this day was was on fear and so I decided to start out the discussion in our life group on on fear and I said well what do you what do you fear the most and and I anticipated that they were going to say things like spiders or or snakes or heights or claustrophobia and confined spaces but the number one thing that all of these older members shared that they feared the most was losing their independence and at that age, that's, that's a very real fear. As a matter of fact, they told me they fear that more than death. Over the years, I have been incredibly blessed and honored to help an elderly friend of mine who went from living in his own house with his own car, with his own furniture, then he ended up moving into a, an independent living center that it was not his cottage, you might call that, was not his own house, but he still had a lot of his own furniture and then he ended up having to give up driving and then just recently, about two months ago, he moved from this independent living center into one room in an assisted living center. And there's a lot of that that has been incredibly difficult for David. But the hardest part for him has been with each of these moves, each of these transitions, giving up his independence. There's just something, there's something in each one of us that, that wants that, right? That we want independence. And while on the one hand, that's understandable and it's good in many ways, as we look at our passage today, which is interesting, it's a story of an elderly senior couple. There's a powerful lesson here on learning to be dependent on God. 
We actually looked at their story two Sundays ago and we saw a lesson on what we call the silent treatment. And it was a lesson on promise, on God's faithfulness to keep his promises to us even in times of perceived silence. But there's more in this story that we can't over- overlook. And I want to look there for it one more time to learn a lesson on prayer. A lesson I've entitled Assisted Living, Learning to Be Dependent on God in Prayer. I am convinced of this. I cannot, we cannot talk enough about prayer because that is at the heart of our relationship with God. And it is from our relationship with God that everything else flows. And so we look at this story of this elderly couple and we find four Lessons I want us to notice on prayer. And the first lesson is on the privilege of prayer. Let's begin reading in verse 5. In the time of King Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And so I want to stop and just give a little, I guess you would call it historical context. The temple grounds where this story is said, it basically covered somewhat of 35 acres and buildings all over the place. And in the center of this 35 acres, there was the the magnificent temple built by King Herod, by Herod the Great. On the outside of the temple, their area grounds, there was what was called the court of the Gentiles. And so any of us who are Gentiles, which is probably most of us here, We could have all hung out there. And then there was the the, the court of women moving in a little bit. And there only Jewish men and Jewish women could assemble. No Gentiles there. And then there was the court of men where only Jewish men could gather. Women couldn't go there. Why not? We're trying to figure that out on Wednesday night in our class here in the auditorium. So we'd love for you to to come and be a part of that. You have the the court of men. And then as you you move in closer, you come to what was known of as the holy place. Here only a priest could go. And then you move in a little bit closer to the center of the temple. And this was the most holy place. Only the high priest could go there once a year. Anyone else who would walk into the most holy place, they would drop dead. It was a sacred place. So with each, with each location, it symbolized moving closer and closer to the presence of God. But you didn't, just, you didn't just walk in. You didn't just go into the holy place. You didn't just walk into the most holy place. There were daily sin offerings to atone for the sins of the people and of the priests. There were purification rituals for their cleansing before they could go into the presence of God. And so the setting of our story here in in Luke chapter 1, it's in this second room to the closest. It's in the the holy place 
And here there was a golden altar of incense where incense were burned. On the left side of the altar, there was this candlestick, you might call it. A candelabra. It had seven branches. It was called the menorah. On the, on the right side of the altar of incense, there was a table with, with 12 loaves of bread, each symbolizing the, the 12 tribes of Israel. Only a priest could walk into this room. Every single male born of the family of Aaron was a priest automatically. And so that, that created a problem at the time when Luke is right, when this story is set. Because at the time of the first century, prior to the birth of Jesus, there were somewhat between 18 to 20,000 priests. And so you've got a, a huge church ministry staff. You've got more priests to serve than you have work to do. And so they would rotate their responsibilities and a priest would come in for basically working two weeks a year. These two weeks were the highlight of the year for these guys. They would come in and they would work for a week. They would pause. They would take a six-month break, which you can imagine, this kind of job. And they would come back and, and they would work for their second week. And when you would arrive for your week of service as a priest, there would be lots that were cast. And... To, to simplify that, it would be like they drew straws. And there were a, a bunch of them that were there. And lots were cast. And based upon the lot that fell upon you, that would determine the responsibility that you had to serve in the temple. Because there were so many priests at that one particular week, there were far too many priests than, than there could be people to go into the holy place. And so the odds were that that they would cast the lots and whoever, whoever upon whomever the, the lot was cast, this is the person who would go into the holy place to, to offer the incense. And these incense, this was something of a symbolizing prayers, the smoke of the incense rising to God. Odds were as a priest you would never go in there because there were so many. It was kind of like winning the lottery. You figure, I mean, you dreamed of it as a priest. You longed for it as a priest. But you figured, <laughs> I'll never go in there. This will never happen. But it just so happened in our story, and I believe not just so happened, but by God's providence, that the lot to go into the holy place to burn incense fell upon our main character, Zechariah. And it was for him. He, he, was, he was chosen. So you can imagine the euphoria of all of these 20,000 priests, of all of the times he was chosen to go into this incredible close place of the presence of God and offer up these incense representing prayers lifted up to God. What an incredible privilege. It was on this day for Zechariah. Oh church, do we grasp the incredible privilege that God has given us in prayer. Most of us, and I'm guessing most of us as Gentiles, we could not have gone further 
Non-Jews, that's what that word means, non-Jews. We could not have been gone beyond the court of the Gentiles, certainly not into the court of the Jews, certainly not into the holy place, and without a shadow of a doubt, none of us in our lifetimes ever would have gone into the most holy place. But you read Hebrews chapter 10. It's a beautiful, beautiful chapter that tells us because of the sin offering of Jesus Christ for our sins and because of the the cleansing and the purification that comes by that offering, we can walk beyond the court of the Gentiles beyond the court of the Jews men and women alike into the holy place and into the most holy place into the closest place of God's holy presence without fear not once a year not once a week if the lot fell upon us but every day have you lost sight of the privilege you have in prayer. And I ask you that because I believe to a large degree I have. Do you take it for granted? We have been given a privilege that a Jewish priest would have never imagined and it is yours, it is ours. It is the privilege of prayer that we learn in this story. Secondly, we learn about the presence of prayer. So Jeremiah's job was really, it was really not that complicated. He was to walk into the most holy, not in the most holy place, excuse me, not at all. He was to walk into the holy place, drop a pinch of incense on the altar that they would burn, and he was to go out quickly. It didn't take much time at all. The people are outside of the temple. They're praying while he's in there. He comes out and he, and he speaks upon them to them. The Aaronic blessing, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you and make his face shine upon you. You know that. So it would take very little time for him to go in, perform this duty and leave but on this day he didn't come out very quickly something happened and so the people are waiting (laughs) and they're waiting for him to come out and they're wondering I wonder what's up with Zechariah did he in his curiosity pull back the curtain to the most holy place just to take a peek and place his foot in and drop dead what's going on Luke tells us what happened in verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Verse 12, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, and so they, they, he gets into a conversation with an angel. Not only in this time of offering up these incense, this time that represented prayers lifted up to God, not only did he see an angel, but the angel spoke to him. And so he was, he was shocked. He was startled. The text says he was gripped by fear. And on one sense, I get that. But on another sense, he should not have been surprised. What do you expect when you're in the close presence of God as later on is is the angel is going to tell us in verse 19 he says Zechariah I stand in the presence of God I have been sent to speak to you so what do you expect when you walk into the presence of God in prayer but to see perhaps an angel and for God to speak to you 
through an angel. Angels surround God's presence. You're in God's presence. Angels are messengers of God. They're supposed to speak to you. But Zechariah was not expecting this. What do you expect in prayer? You know, I, I ask that because I ask it of myself. Because it's possible for me, and I'm going to guess this resonates with many of you. It's possible for me to do what we're doing today as a ritual. It's possible for me to go through my prayers as a ritual and forget that I am in God's presence in this moment. It is sacred. He is here. And I love the words to the song. It's an older song. Of the 70s, I would guess, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place, in this moment. I can feel His mighty power and His grace. I can hear, listen, I can hear the brush of angels' wings as they're moving about. I see glory on each face. The glory of the angels is simply the glory of God radiating from the angels. I believe that one of the most influential stories in the Bible, I've mentioned this to you before, that influenced my prayer life more than any other story is a story in Exodus 33 of Moses and, and he's in a time of incredible prayer with God and he says to God in this time of prayer, show me your glory. Meaning, I don't just want to go through a ritual, I, I want to see you. Whatever that looks like, whatever it means, I want to get that you and your presence is here with me in that moment. And, and I, I need that reminder personally because I forget that when I'm talking to God, that I'm talking to someone. And what's fascinating in, in, in Exodus 33, in that same story, of Moses praying to God, it really doesn't simply say or talk about what Moses said to God. It doesn't simply say talk about Moses speaking to God, but it says there, and I read from the verse, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Listen to this. The Lord would speak in prayer to Moses face to face as a friend speaks with his friend. God in prayer was speaking. So I wonder, could it be that not just in Bible story land with, with Moses and, and with Zechariah, could it be that God wants to speak to you in prayer? But we enter into prayer not even remembering or realizing that he's there, not expecting to hear from him, not listening. Can you imagine having conversations with your friends like you have with God? You're just talking and talking and talking and saying everything that needs to be said. Then once you get through talking and talking and talking and saying everything needs to be said and you're finished talking, the conversation is over. You have friends like that? But maybe God has something he wants to say. If you'd give him a chance, we would listen. You see, I don't think you don't always have to be talking to be praying. You don't always have to be talking to be spending time in prayer. 
Oh, there's the privilege of prayer. There's the presence of prayer. And then the third lesson I see here on prayer is the persistence of prayer. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is to never take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The angel told Zechariah, Your prayer has been heard. But think about it. This passage says they're not just old, they're very old. They're beyond childbearing age. And so they're, you know, the older I get, the younger 70s look. (laughs) So I was just saying they're very old. They could even be 70. Um, I would say 75 to 85, somewhere in in that range. So I'm thinking... Your prayer has been heard. Their prayer for a child. And we talked about this dual prayer that was at play here. How many years had Zechariah and Elizabeth been praying for a child? How many times? How many times they said, God, please grant us this desire. Did they ever just think, he's not listening? Did they ever feel tempted to give up? And quit praying for a child. And, and then in tandem with that, it's, it's, it's couched in the setting of the story of the Israelites. And we talked about this two weeks ago. Who for 400 years had not just been waiting for the promised Messiah. But they had been praying for it. Praying for it. For 100 years. For 200 years. For 300 years. For 400 years. And you just wonder, did some of them say, you know, this isn't working. Why keep doing this? Why even go to church? And as we see here in Luke chapter 1, these incense that represent the prayers of God, there is a beautiful picture that John in, in, in Revelation is given to pass on to these poor Christians. You read the history of the first century. It was horrible, the persecution that they endured. And God says, John, I want you to let them hear and see this vision. It's a vision of the altar of incense. It's a vision of these incense that are burning and the smoke of these incense, these prayers that are rising from these desperately hurting people it shows in this vision that John had how their their these prayers are rising to God it was God's way of saying your prayers in your pain they are getting to God he is there he is here he is hearing those prayers don't give up there are there are people some of you for whom I have been praying for years years and still nothing that I'm asking for for you or for them and it's a bit frustrating I'm tempted to get a bit upset or angry with God but we're going to see an incredible parable that Luke writes of a persistent widow that teaches us a lesson on prayer 
which Luke writes in this parable, Jesus teaches us to always pray and never give up. Because you see, regardless of how and when your persistent prayers will change your life situation or the life situation of others, you can be sure of this, it will change you. And in God's overarching purpose for His life, God changing you is more important than what you're asking for. It's the persistence of prayer. And then fourth, we, we, we learn from these senior citizens, you're not put out to pasture if you're older. God is using you. He's using them this morning. We learn a lesson on the power of prayer. Verse 18 Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife, and he doesn't say as an old lady, he said she is well along in years. Wise choice, Zechariah. Verse 19, the angel said to him, like seriously? No, that's my addition. I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you the good news. The point is like, you're doubting this? We talked about that more two, two weeks ago. And now, verse 20, you will be silent and not able to speak until this day happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple when he came out and he could not speak to them. Then they realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home and his wife Elizabeth, how old is she? His wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me. Was she happy or scared? In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. A 75-year couple or older had conceived. This, these old folks were still getting it on. No medicine like we have. Prayer. Now some of you are motivated. I'm going I'm to start praying. <laughs> That's crazy to see Norma walking around showing as I talked to you a couple of weeks ago. That's the unthinkable. That's unimaginable. And that's crazy. You don't pray for that. I've been praying for someone for more than two years now. I guess more than a year and a half, two years, a friend of mine. He had his kidney removed. And I'm thinking, God, would you regrow that kidney? That's kind of crazy. I've been praying for a friend of mine who had her half her colon removed and I'm saying God right now in this moment would you regrow that colon that's crazy but God does crazy things why not ask him I've been praying for more than 20 years for two of my dearest friends from Baton Rouge Louisiana who are separated that God would bring them back together and he's just like are you keep praying that it's crazy He does the impossible. We're going to see that with Mary. With Mary. What does he say? Um, nothing is impossible with God. Because she's going, seriously? We're going to see that later on with Jesus' teaching. What is it in Luke 19, I think it is? That how can these people who are so wealthy and materialistic be saved? He says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. I, I was um, 
the other day we were at a ministry staff meeting. And uh, there also all our ministry staff is there. And Sarah's sitting next to me and I'm sitting next to her. And she has her coffee and I have mine. She says, well, that's not fair. I have a, a paper cup of coffee and you have a nice ceramic cup. Why didn't they give me a nice ceramic cup instead of this paper cup? And I said, well, it's really not complicated, Sarah. It's a biblical principle in James chapter 4. You do not have because you do not ask. Isn't it great working with a preacher? He always brings out verses in the Bible, you know. You know, if you were to ask for a ceramic cup, you might just get it. Just ask. I wonder what God might do if we would just ask for the impossible. And then God's, <laughs> the angel says to Zechariah, uh, how can I be sure of this? You've been praying for it. And you're, you don't believe it? But like I'm rebuking him as though, what's wrong with you? Don't you do that? I do. I, I pray for something, but am I really expecting God to answer that? It's, it's just going through this religious ritual. But maybe this is real in the Bible. Maybe he is here. Maybe he is listening, and maybe he will answer, as, as we looked at two weeks ago, in his appointed time, if we will only place our faith in him and ask. It's a story similar in Acts chapter 12. Now, some of you know the story where um, Peter is in prison, and the Christians are, are to gather together in John Mark's mother's house. Her name is Mary. They're gathered together, and they're praying for Peter's release. God, get him out of prison. And God answers their prayer and releases Peter from prison. He goes to the house. He knocks on the door. A servant, Rhoda, walks up to the door. She hears Peter's voice. She freaks out. She runs back to everybody. Peter's been released. Peter's at the door, and they said, you're lost your mind. It's like you were just praying for it. It's the power of prayer. And you think about when Zechariah walked out of the holy place, what did his eyes look like? Like saucers. I mean, he was, he was speechless, literally, actually. It's the same story with Moses. He was in this incredibly intense time on a mountain praying with God. When he came down, he didn't look the same. Something happened to Zechariah in there when he was praying to God. Something happened to Moses on that mountain in prayer with God. He had a glow about him. Prayer is powerful. Not only changing the circumstances for which we pray, but changing us. And then finally, there is the promise of prayer. To the nation of Israel centuries earlier, God made a promise about the prayers prayed by his people. They would pray from their church building, from the temple, and these were, this was the promise. If my people who were called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And here, as Luke opens this gospel story of Jesus, is the ultimate fulfillment of God keeping that promise through sending Christ, through whom forgiveness of sin and healing comes. Our land, our nation, is turning further 
and further away from God. And I guess every preacher in every generation says that. But look around. So what are we as followers of Jesus to do? Instead of passive, aggressive posts, instead of aggressive posts, instead of arguing, criticizing, complaining, grumbling, instead of crying out, go Brandon, we should cry out in prayer, church. Come, Lord Jesus, to our land. And so as we enter into this time of the Advent to celebrate this incredible story of Jesus coming to bring forgiveness and healing the land at the birth of Christ, may we take advantage of the privilege He has given us in prayer. May we enter into His presence with persistence that Jesus would come once again as He did in the days of Zechariah and Elizabeth and work powerfully among us to heal our land and to heal our lives. Let's pray. We, we take these words from Luke chapter 1 and we ask that like seeds you would plant them in our hearts and let them grow. Convict us, compel us, drive us to humble ourselves and pray, not only for ourselves, but desperately for our nation. We come before you, Lord Jesus, and we ask you, as your disciples asked you, Lord, teach us to pray. I would ask that you let's stand together and let's go into this time of prayer, offering this song to God as a prayer. And if you would like to reach out to one of our shepherds or someone else for a prayer that you need or you know someone else needs, let's take advantage of that in this time. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.